quick disclaimer, there is some mention of drug use at the end of the podcast today. It's set in 14th century Turkey, and a character smokes opium. Just wanted to give you a heads up, if that's of any concern to you or the people you're listening with. This week, on Myths and Legends, there's the story of the Bird of Sorrow, from Turkish folklore. You'll see why you shouldn't buy the Bird of Sorrow, or else he'll come smash up your favorite coffee shop, and why you should marry that genie you met in that tree. The creature this time is a self-conscious, super-attractive, tiny horse. This is Myths and Legends, episode 305, Angry Bird. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story comes from 14th century Turkey, at the beginning of the Ottoman Empire. The actual history doesn't super matter beyond the fact that there's an empire that exists, and the princess is a princess. We'll start with her and her governess, talking about sorrow. My dear governess, what is wrong? The princess asked her governess, the woman who basically raised her. The governess looked to her shoes. It was nothing. The princess, the padishah's daughter, threw an arm around her governess. Please. She spent every waking minute with the governess. 24-7, 365, no holidays, no weekends. She knew the woman really well. What could possibly be wrong? The governess said she had some, you know, she'd be real. She had some sorrow. She was sorrowful. She also felt like people around here discounted her feelings and experiences. <laughs> sorrow? You don't have sorrow, the princess laughed. What did the governess have to be sorrowful about? Their lives ruled. The governess sighed. You know, she, the princess, didn't understand. Her life was awesome. She had never known sorrow and probably never would. The governess was grateful to be in this position. She was. But yeah, sometimes she got down. The smallest thing in the world could lead to her exile or execution. All this good stuff, that was because of the princess. The princess crossed her arms. This was unfair. The governess shrugged. Well, that's just the way of the world. Some people didn't have the same access to opportunities that the princess did. Yeah, they have more. What's unfair is that I won't ever get to experience this thing you're talking about. What was it called again? Soro? Oh, that's what you meant. The governess sighed. Also, sorrow. It's sorrow. Yeah, I want it. The princess crossed her arms and stuck out her bottom lip. No, you don't, the governess said. Give me sorrow, the princess said holding out her hand and grasping at the air. The governess said it didn't work like that? The princess said, look, she wasn't saying that if the governess didn't give her sorrow, she would have the woman fired and exiled, but she was implying it. The governess took a deep breath. All right, the princess should grab her cloak. They were going down to the market. The Bird of Sorrow, 
the governess presented the bird. You want sorrow? This is how you get sorrow. By buying a bird of sorrow at the marketplace. The governess handed the cash over, and the merchant, who was selling the bird of sorrow, presented the cage. The princess looked at the cage. This, she wasn't expecting a bird. The governess said, yep, bird, bird of sorrow, that's how you get sorrow, she just said all that. The princess inspected it. It was just a bird. Was there a story with it? Was it a metaphor for something? The shopkeeper got up in their faces, hey, did they want the bird of sorrow or not? I got a lot of people interested in that bird of sorrow. Makes people sorrowful, fills their life with grief. The guy's going to pay me $44 billion for that bird that makes everybody miserable if you don't want it. So, you know, make a decision. The governess shook her head. This was the 14th century. That's a made-up currency and number. Yes, we're taking it. The governess swatted the shopkeeper away. The princess took the bird, and the bird of sorrow was awesome. If this was sorrow, she wanted sorrow all day, every day. It talked, and not like a parrot, it could come up with speech. She could have full conversations with it. The governess would hear the princess talking with the bird of sorrow long into the night. A few days later, the princess had a great idea. Take the bird to the zoo, so it could see all the other birds in what was essentially bird jail. When they got there, the bird of sorrow asked if he could be let out for a bit, to frolic and play with the other birds. The princess nodded. You know what? Sure, yeah. She undid the latch. The bird flapped out. Nice. Freedom, all right. Well, goodbye forever. The princess asked, what? He was, she furrowed a brow. No, he was her bird. She commanded him to get back into that cage. The bird laughed. Uh, make me? Oh, wait, you can't because you don't have wings. I know why the formerly caged bird sings. It doesn't have to hang out with you anymore. She furrowed her brow. That was mean. The bird said what was really mean was him still flapping around here talking to her. Mean to him, that is. Bye. The bird flapped off into the sky. The princess's tears splattered on his shrinking shadow. So this was it. This was sorrow. Having a friend and losing one. Loving and then having it turn to ash. She stood up and dried her eyes with her dress. You know what? Not so bad. She would heal and she would fly? Talons gripped around her arms, biting into her flesh as dust and leaves kicked up all around her. Her feet left the ground. Ah, just kidding about leaving. I'm kidnapping you, the bird said, and took flight. As she screamed and punched at the talons, her governess, the zoo, and the city shrank beneath her feet. Sorrow, not sorrow, the sultana, the princess, heard as she hit the ground. She had flown for over an hour with the bird of sorrow workshopping new catchphrases, and that was the one he landed on. Wait, don't you mean sorrow, not sorry? Bird of sorrow thought about it. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, he's going to do that one. That one's better. Anyway, enjoy your sorrow, nerd. I'm going to go get some more ready for you, the bird called out, before disappearing into the sky. The princess stood up and rubbed her wrist jerk. She hated that bird. Oh, but this wasn't looking good. She looked around. She was in a clearing. A clearing on top of a mountain. 
they had flown too fast and too high from the city. She didn't know the way home, and even if she did, could she make it? She would have to climb over mountains, push through forests with monsters who tickle people to death, let alone brigands and bandits. Anxiety began to grow within her, gnaw at her. She took a deep breath. It was either press onward and risk her life, or stay here and forfeit it. She wrapped her shawl around her and began descending the mountain. By the time she collapsed in front of a farmer, she had been walking for two days and hadn't eaten for two and a half. He helped her up, and his family walked her inside. After she recovered, she stood in front of the farmer. She was the sultana, the princess. One day she would return and thank the people that saved her life properly. The farmer said, yeah, maybe don't be telling people that particular detail at all. The princess looked confused. Wait, were you just going to go to the docks, tell those strange men that you were the princess, and then, what, they would bow down and give you a free ride home? The farmer was wide-eyed. The princess said, not anymore, she wasn't. The farmer's wife returned with some clothes. Here. The princess looked them over. Oh, these didn't fit her. Also, they were men's clothes. The family waited for the princess to make the connection. Ah, I hear you. Trade these for passage. Got it. The family waited some more. Wait, wear them? Forget being a princess. Being a woman traveling the road alone could attract attention that no one wanted. So the princess followed the family's advice. The only problem? Well, after she made it to the city, she couldn't command people to do her bidding, which was like one of the best things about being royalty, top five at least. The men at the dock wouldn't even look at her unless she could pay for passage, which she couldn't. So she had to get a job. The story tells us that she found herself at a coffee house and asked if she could work as the man's assistant. The man laughed. And what did this strange, dirty young man know about making coffee? You, you put the hot water through the grounds and then give people the brown water? The princess, in disguise as a young man, said. The coffee house proprietor narrowed his eyes. All right, turns out he did know a thing or two about coffee. The young man got the job. A few months passed, and the princess earned money slowly, enough to pay passage, and she was able to save money by sleeping on a cot in the back. That's when, the night before she was set to leave, she had a visitor. Hi, princess. The princess snapped awake. The bird. The bird of sorrow was perched above her cot. What was he doing? Was that weird, the whisper thing? The bird laughed. I was going for creepy. Did it read as creepy? Anyway, how you doing? You're looking good, healthy. You have a job, sleeping on a cot with little mice running over you all night. Like that little taste of sorrow, little half cup of sorrow had been treating you well. The princess whispered that she did not like the sorrow all that much. Bird of Sorrow laughed. Yeah, that's the point. It's sorrow. It's terrible. Then he looked down to her hand coming up from under the blanket. The hand holding the knife. Ooh, plot twist. What's that for, princess? 
The princess raised the knife and pointed at the bird of sorrow. She had been waiting for this day, the day he might return, and he was not taking her again. Yeah, I know, I'm the bird of sorrow, not the bird of doing the same boring thing over and over again, which, I mean, that's, I guess that could lead to sorrow, but not in this situation. The princess lowered her knife. He's not taking her? No, of course not. I am going to mess this place up, though. Sorry, not sorrow. Oh, no, shoot, it's sorrow, not sorry. There, yeah. Anyway, let's get going. The princess tried to stop him, but the bird ran from shelf to shelf, dropping everything on the ground, shattering cups, saucers, hookahs. The princess screamed for the bird to stop, and he did, when the lantern rounded the corner, and the coffee house owner came downstairs to see the princess, his employee, standing alone in his wrecked store. Everything she had been working for, for all those months, went to the store owner to repair the damage, and the princess was fired. She wasn't merely right back where she started when she entered the city. She was worse off. Everyone heard about her antics, and no one would hire her. So she hit the road again. We'll see what happens next on the princess's sorrow-filled journey, but that will be read after this. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Princess! The bird of sorrow squawked directly in the princess's ear. He liked to mix up his methods. Ugh. This again? The princess muttered after she recovered from the surprise. She thought he didn't like doing the same boring thing over and over again. The bird of sorrow said, uh, well, it was a common story structure. Things come at you in threes. Really, this was the princess's fault. If she didn't keep looking for work, first at the coffee house, then with the tailor, now with the fringe maker in three separate cities, he wouldn't have to come and trash the place. You know, she was the one who wanted the bird of sorrow. So, you know, bird of sorrow is going to sorrow. All right, if she didn't mind, he was going to start tearing out some stitching. She didn't try to stop him. She only started packing. But that was enough to wake up the fringe maker, who came in and saw all the torn stitching, beat the princess, and fired her. She walked off, alone, into the night. Bird, the crown prince called from the ground, knocking an arrow. I'm not a bird, the princess called back. The prince let an arrow fly anyway. Genie, he called and shot another arrow. It, too, hit the trunk of a tree several feet from where the princess was sitting. She looked down. He was a terrible shot. Yeah, I'm not one of the djinn either, the princess said. Go away. Yeah, that's what a genie would say. Eat arrow, Afrit, the prince called out. 
This time the arrow didn't even hit a tree. Oh my gosh, I'm a human woman, the princess climbed down. She would tell him not to shoot her with an arrow, but she saw from his previous three shots that she was in no real danger of that. The prince cocked an eyebrow. What in the world? Why was she living in that tree? The princess sighed and said, yes, it was this whole thing. She had this bird hassling her. She figured it was the safest withdrawal from society. Live in a tree in the forest and eat roots growing out of the ground. It was pretty bad, but she hadn't seen the bird in a month, so it kind of worked out. The prince waved his hands back and forth before taking the princesses. Pish posh. He wasn't going to leave this woman to fend for herself in the forest. He wasn't that type of prince. No. She would come with him, and he would help her get cleaned up and back on her feet. The princess pulled her hand away. He didn't understand. The bird would come for her. She would either disappear one afternoon on a fun zoo trip, or something horrible would happen, and she would be exiled. Not in my kingdom, the prince said. The princess said, yeah, he said that now, but but nothing. It's my kingdom. You told me something like this would happen. We'll be ready. I won't cast you out. You have my word, the prince said, holding out his hand. Something within the princess believed the young man. She smiled and took his hand. And in two months, they were married. In a year, cries rang out in the palace of the sultan. The princess and the crown prince had a child, a daughter. The princess could breathe. It was done. It was over. It had been months and months since she had seen the bird of sorrow. Maybe that was it. Her baby cried out in the middle of the night. Despite having nurses, the baby slept in the same room as the princess, though the princess did wait for the nurses. But the cry was cut short. There was silence. The princess rose from bed. That wasn't right. Babies didn't just stop mid-cry. There was... Hi. Sorrow, not sorry. Got it right this time. Woo. Uh... The princess turned and saw the eyes of the bird of sorrow glinting in the moonlight. I don't like this one, so I'm just going to be quick about this. You really should have stayed in the forest, the bird said. His wing flapped, and he smeared something on the woman's face. When the servants lit the braziers, mere moments later, they looked to the princess and screamed. The princess wiped her face and looked at her hands and they shook as she took in the full realization of what was happening. Her mouth was covered in blood. There's blood on the bassinet and blood on the mother's mouth, the sultan said. The princess sat bound outside the door to the throne room. She could hear everything. She says she didn't do it, the prince argued. The sultan exhaled sharply. Says she didn't do it. She could say anything. He found her in a tree. She's a creature of the forest. She's a monster dedicated to destroying the sacred line of the sultan. She was to be exiled or executed. Tears fell, mingling with the blood on her hands. But then, the princess stopped crying as she listened. Her husband, the prince was standing up for her, 
He said if his father was going to exile her, he needed to exile both of them. Kill her? The Sultan should kill him as well. The Sultan wavered for a moment, then relented. She could stay. No one would know of what happened, and he wouldn't speak to his daughter-in-law again. But she could stay. For the prince. Unfortunately, when it happened a year and a half later, and then again after that, nothing could sway the old Sultan's opinion. The Bird of Sorrow had come two more times, and left only blood and anguish in his wake. The prince was seized as soon as the news was made known, and the princess didn't fight. She didn't say a word to the old sultan during what could charitably be called a trial. It was really just an old man shrieking at her about how terrible she was, and she followed her executioners. On a lonely hill, they pressed her head down on a sticky, stained rock and brought the axe down brought it down on the rope on her hands. As they tried to dramatically cut the rope and then just untied it, the princess asked them what was going on. They told her they could see her anguish. They didn't think she did it. And they didn't need the stain of executing an innocent person on their conscience. So they were letting her go. She thanked them both with a hug and ran off into the wilderness. But now... There was nothing. She had been taken from her home. She had to give up her name, her life, and every life she tried to get after that was destroyed. Everyone came to sorrow or desolation because of her. She lost three children and the love of her life. And now, she had nothing. She buried her face in her hands and wept. The princess finally felt true sorrow. In her tree... She felt talons wrap around her arms. Then her shoulders slumped. She didn't fight this time. What more can you do to me? What more can you take? The princess called out to the bird of sorrow, who carried her wordlessly into the sky. She didn't know how long they flew, but as the sun rose, her hands began to go numb. There, in the distance, on the top of a mountain, she could see a palace. The bird of sorrow flew over the wall and set her down gently in the courtyard. The bird flapped down in front of her and transformed. He was a young man. Why are you showing me this? The princess asked, looking around in the light of the rising sun. Because we're finished. You've known true sorrow. I've done all I can for you. The young man smiled. And... The princess slapped him. Birdman backed up. Whoa, he did something wonderful for her. She has no idea. What could she worry about in life now? Losing a job, losing a family, losing her home, being cast out into the forest and straining to survive? With his help, she did all those things. She now had nothing to fear. The worst had happened to her and she was alive. In fact, she was stronger for it. You know, you're welcome. The princess broke down. All those things, the job, the house, her name, those were circumstances. Those could be regained. Her children, though, they were gone. That was the deepest pain imaginable. Birdman's eyes widened. Oh, shoot, yes. Sorry, oh my gosh, the kids, the kids are alive. I messed up the order of the reveal. I, this is my first time, I'm sorry. 
He waved a hand and the door opened. Two children ran out and one was carrying the third, who was still a newborn. He said he didn't actually kill children. That's grim fairy tale dark. The princess sobbed as she held her kids, but the blood. Berry juice. Bet you didn't taste it. Birdman smiled and pointed. Why would I taste it? Exactly, Birdman winked. Birdman said all this was hers. The palace, it was just outside of her father-in-law's lands. She had everything she would ever have with her old life, but now she had it on her own terms. No one could take it away from her. The princess couldn't believe it. And Birdman was right, kind of. Having known the deepest of sorrow made the life she enjoyed before feel like paradise. She had been through the worst, and she had survived. She no longer feared anything. The princess turned to the bird. He was a magical bird, right? Birdman smiled. The magicalist? Is that a word? He, he made it a word with magic. It's a word now. The princess said then he could release her husband from the sultan's dungeon, and he could bring him here so the family could be together, right? Birdman chuckled nervously. What? Birdman replied that the prince had been released from the dungeon a few days ago. The princess stood, looking out on the wilderness of the world beyond the road. Then they needed to go get him. He was probably out there searching for her. Well, a uh, couple things. He thought you died, so... The princess's face grew grim. No. No, no, no. He wasn't... She swallowed a sob. Dead? Oh, no. He didn't go all Romeo for you, even though he said he would. He... Ugh, I'm just gonna show you. Birdman waved his hands and conjured an image of the prince. The prince who... The prince who was reclining back on some cushions completely numbed the world. He was smoking opium. What? The princess yelled. The birdman said, yeah, people grieve in their own ways, but this looked bad. Remember that this is the 14th century, so that's completely legal and like a medicine here now. Hey, hey, old man, I buy opium from because that sort of thing is legal in this time. The prince yelled. Birdman pointed, see? The prince continued, where's the, the, bring me more opium. The old man shuffled into the room and showed the prince the empty opium baggie. I don't know how they stored and transported opium in the Ottoman Empire. We don't need to do a deep dive on that. The prince sat up. What? Yeah, we're out, but I can get you more. The old man shrugged. Yes, please do. The old man said his guy lived the next city over. He'd take a walk there and be back in a few days. Birdman waved the image away. So, yeah, the princess might want to wait a little while until she invited her husband to this palace. He had to work through some things. The princess, though, was deep in thought. She turned to Birdman. The road to the city where, you know, the old man's guy was, it went by this palace, didn't it? The Birdman smiled. No, no, not remotely, but it could. We'll see the, uh, frankly, overcomplicated prank that wraps up the story, but that will, once again, be right after this. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. 
When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Birdman rubbed his five o'clock shadow. Okay, they needed to go over this one more time because it made no sense. The princess laid it out. Okay, so the old man who gives her husband opium would be passing by within the hour. When he did, they would throw a rose from the palace wall and he would smell it and, looking up, see the image of a beautiful woman waving at him. And he would make his way into the palace, but he would not be allowed because he smelled the rose. Then, the husband would be so worried about the old man slash wanting his opium that he would send his steward to go look for the old man. He would be intrigued by the palace, enter, and inside he would see a harem of beautiful women and the birdman telling him to take off his cloak and fez. But here's the kicker, the fez would be enchanted, so he couldn't take it off, so he would be kicked out. But before that, they would release the old man. Meanwhile, her husband would be growing so impatient that he would send another guy who would be invited in, but he would have to take off his pants and don a dressing gown for some reason to enter the palace proper which he wouldn't be able to do because his pants would magically stay up. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the, the Birdman was about to say that that wasn't the correct usage of meanwhile, but the princess continued on. Her husband would arrive. He would meet all four guys on the road who would tell him not to smell the rose, to take his fez off, and to take his pants off before entering the palace. There, they would sit down to dinner with the husband. The princess stifled a laugh. The Birdman said, sorry, they've been over this a lot, and... None of this made sense to him at all. And he did pranks. He pranked her like half a dozen times. Those were just mean things that no one asked for that's only fun for the person doing it. Yeah, that's a prank. The princess told him to just do it. It would be hilarious. It wasn't hilarious, but it was effective. Quick aside, I have no idea what the point of all that was. All the stuff that the princess did. But the story devotes like a quarter of its text to the prank at the end, so that's why I'm running through it. Anyway, the prince sat across from the princess and the three children, and remember, it wasn't like she had been lost in the wilderness and transformed, or it had been years. It had been a week, tops. And she looked exactly the same. Regardless, he didn't recognize her. But when the children brought him a bowl of pears with a spoon, he laughed and asked, how long has it been accustomed to eat pears with a spoon? And the kids cried out in unison and in a definitely not creepy way, since human beings have eaten human flesh. This response made sense to the prince, somehow, because he realized that he was sitting across the table from the wife he thought dead and the children he thought eaten. Tears began streaming and he embraced the family he thought lost and asked how, how is any of this possible? The princess pointed to the bird of sorrow, the one who had been her savior, and who taught her to appreciate the life she had. But he was gone. She smiled, looked up to the sky, and winked. It was an old friend, an old friend that taught her that she was going to be all, sorry, were you, were you looking for me? Birdman said, walking in the room with a tray of food. It sounded like you were talking about me. 
Princess said, oh, she thought this whole thing was over and that he disappeared as mysteriously as he arrived. Birdman said, well, first, he didn't appear mysteriously. She bought the Bird of Sorrow from the marketplace. Can't get much more straightforward than that. But also, now that she was on the other side of her sorrow, he literally could not leave. He was her slave. Oh, the princess sat up. Did he want to leave? Birdman said, uh, did he want to be a slave? He did not. No. I mean, she was cool, but he had a whole life. His parents were looking for him after he spurned a witch and was turned into the bird of sorrow. So, yeah, he would very much like to leave. She said, wow, okay, it, yeah, he was free. The family embraced Birdman, and he disappeared down the stairs. A free person. The princess looked off into the sky with another smile. She had learned some valuable lessons. And she was better now than... I'm. Oh, okay, sorry. I am so sorry to bug you. Birdman knocked at the door. Turns out my magic was tied to the curse. Can I have one of the carriages? The princess was roused from her wrap-up. Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, I did make them with my magic, Birdman noted. And I said, yeah, please, take whatever you need. She looked up to the sky. And she was gonna be all... Food too? Birdman said reaching over with a pack. Yes, oh my gosh, just please, let me wrap this up. Birdman raised his palms. Sorry, sorry, he's not even here. He stole out with enough provisions for the journey, and the princess sat back. Now, she was gonna be all... She, she waited. Okay, good. All right. She had learned to appreciate her life, her family, and she would be happy in the knowledge that henceforth, they would never be parted from each other. All right, the end. I kept that last bit in with the overly complicated prank that I still don't understand because it was in the original and it was fun in its own weird way. The main point of the story, though, is a good one. Experiencing hard times can make the good times all that sweeter. And the princess, having gone through the greatest hits of some of the worst things that can happen to a person, found that she was stronger than she knew. Next week, we're going to be in Latin American folklore, where we learn the reason everyone is terrible all the time. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of four high-C ecto-cooler juice boxes, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that are not a 30-year-old juice box that someone found in their basement and decided to sell on eBay for $10 a pop. For more info on the membership, check out mythpodcast.com membership or just go to Apple Podcasts. The creature this week is the Nougal from the Shetland Islands in Scotland. Now, we've talked about this before. We had a whole episode devoted to it. Don't get on strange horses hanging out on the water's edge. I'm not a horse fan. To me, a horse is like, what if your car had muscles and could kick you so hard you die? They make me uneasy, and I would never be tempted to try to jump on a strange horse hanging out next to a lake, but maybe in the Middle Ages that would be different. Like, Maybe if you catch a horse, that's your horse. And it would be like getting something similar to a free car. That might be why you would be tempted to climb atop the Nougal, but don't do it. 
because like many water horses, it will immediately pull you into the water and drown you as a hilarious prank. But with the new goal, that's really the only danger. Despite being a quote, attractive horse, and I'm not sure what that means if that's a common term in horse parlance, and I'm not about to Google attractive horse for so many reasons, but what I find funny is that this creature is often depicted as a Shetland pony, like a very small, stocky, hardy horse. So this attractive horse is just like little Sebastian posing there on the water's edge. If you don't ride it, it does like to play pranks that are far less lethal. They'll just drench you or stop the water wheel on your mill. Despite their attractiveness, they really only come out at dusk and at night because they're self-conscious. Apparently, their tail is shaped like a wheel. So if you see one, laugh at it, like a lot. It deserves it because it drowns people for fun. Staying safe from this creature is super easy. Don't go trying to catch Shetland ponies after sundown, especially those whose tails are shaped like wheels, no matter how attractive the horse is. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Colmes. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Music